For the week of December 8th, 2017, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast's Week in Review. Hello, everybody. On this week's show, we talk about the sexual misconduct cases that continue to roil both Washingtons, and then we talk gun safety in light of the recent school shooting in Pierce County. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. I am joined this week by the founder of Indivisible Washington's 8th District, Chris Petzold. Hello, Chris. Hi there. And also by the Democratic Party chair of Washington's 8th Congressional District, Joshua Troopin. Hello, Josh. Hello. I would like to state that this entire podcast is covered under attorney-client privilege, by the way. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Good. Because none of us are attorneys, that makes perfect sense in this Doesn't in this matter. World. Yeah, exactly. So look, you guys, it, it has been a, a rough couple weeks in, in the news cycles. Uh, we had the GOP Senate tax bill going through. Uh, Trump is now potentially destabilizing the Middle East by saying that the U.S. recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, and then also his move to open our national monuments up to drilling and mining, not to mention the RNC's decision to restore campaign funding to Roy Moore, and then House Republicans passing a bill that would allow concealed carry between states. Um <laughs> Whew, I, am, I am talking to a number of people about just the astronomical amounts of rage that everybody is feeling with and just kind of how they're coping. You, you know, the three of us, uh, we were at a, uh, a dinner last night and we talked about this. And so I'll just ask you both to share. What, Chris, what, what are your secrets for coping right now? Yeah, everything is just so much worse than I thought. And some of these weeks are especially hard. And I think what I try to do is just try to uh, remember before times, kind of like simpler times. And <laughs> for right now, I'm trying to just enjoy the holidays as much as I can and think about some hobbies um, and try to get some exercise um, and drink heavily. That's there you about, go. What well, so you were leading right up. You were going in a healthy direction until you got to that last <laughs> item there. Because I know you're a big cyclist, right? Yeah, yeah, but I don't do that too much in the winter. So I switched to drinking. Oh, there you go. Um, okay. Yeah, but actually, what really, really <laughs> helps me, and what I recommend to everyone else, is you know taking action and fighting against this mayhem. Absolutely. Well, Josh, you were talking last night about compartmentalizing. Care to share your <laughs> secrets there? Well. What's ha what's going to happen is going to happen, and you can either let something take over all your thoughts and all your existence, or you can get on with your day and then compress your effort and fight harder when you're not, you know, getting your workday done. And I think that um, it's important to note here that. The Republican Party really does not have any guiding principles, which is one of the things that gets us really upset. Mm. Or, or I should rephrase that. The Republican Party's guiding principle is to move money from wage earners, who are society's makers, to the Romney investor class, who is society's takers. And you know the problem is they've gone to the whole you know, whipping up people over side issues so many times that it gets to be background noise, but what they like to do is annoy liberals. And it doesn't even have to be something that really does annoy liberals. It has to be something they think annoys liberals. So, you know, here comes Santa Trump saying, we will finally say Merry Christmas again. Right. Well, 
great. Well, that's wonderful. But um, realizing that a lot of people are living vicariously through this guy who all of his faults and all of his personality disorders, he does one thing well, and that's demeaning others. So you're, you know, you're feeling down. You can live vicariously through him. People love things they think angers and out, outrages those damn lib turds. Yeah. And they feel like they're winning against their rebellious teen grandkids. And they cheer on this psychotic blob who's taking them for everything they own. So I guess the trick is, if we get angry, channel that anger into action. So I'm, I'm yeah. synthesizing what both of you guys are saying. All right. So there we go. I, I, yeah. I feel good. I think we've had a good session here. Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, I want to start off by talking this week about Al Franken, who, after very intense pressure to step down from 32 Democratic senators, uh, 19 male, 13 female, including both Patty Murray and Maria Cantwell, uh, Franken did announce on Thursday that he will be resigning. Now, many, 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 many commentators are saying that the Democrats are attempting to secure the moral high ground in the event that Roy Moore wins in Alabama and is seated in Congress, meaning that Democrats can say that they took care of their problem and try to make more a liability for the Republicans, uh, more so, I guess, than he already will be. Um, it seems a bit cynical uh, doing the right things for political reasons, but, you know, that's that's Washington. So, uh, Chris, how does that land with you? Do, you? do you think the Republicans are trying to claim the moral high ground in having pressured Franken to resign? My hope is that they actually are sincere um, in their high ground. Um, at least I am. And, you know, it took me a few days or maybe a week, and especially after more accusations came out um, against Franken, where I came to the to the realization that, yeah, we got to draw the line. We got to have zero zero tolerance for this. Um, and so, I you know maybe they maybe it is for political reasons. Um, I hope that's not the whole equation. Um, but I'm I'm glad that I'm aligned uh, with the side that is taking the high road and not down in the dirt. Yeah, likewise. Um, and but to that end, I am kind of curious to know how this might play out for the Democrats here. And so I'm going to just go ahead and ask what is actually a very cynical question of my own. So Minnesota Governor Mark Dayton will be appointing a replacement for Franken. Uh, there is going to be an election after that. And I hasten to point out that Minnesota was a state that Hillary Clinton only won by 40,000 votes. So uh, here's the question. If Democrats remove their members for sexual misconduct and Republicans don't, does that hobble Democrats politically at a time when they can least afford it? Josh, what do you think? Well, you know, I have mixed feelings personally about the Franken resignation. But, yeah, in the end, what we're seeing now, we just saw with Time magazine, and I'm saying we're seeing as a white man, but women have had to live in a culture of endemic male abuse, basically, since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. So each one of these individual cases is not as much the issue as how society is finally making the first steps towards fixing that. Uh, and politically, I don't think that we can worry what the Republicans do about this. We have to do the right thing. And not only is it the right thing, I think that it will remove some distractions as well, if we're you know looking at it politically. 
Um, but doesn't it keep Democrats from actually if their if their numbers are if their ranks are reduced and Republican ranks are growing, there is a political challenge inherent in that, right? If, there, if that's the short term uh, outcome of doing the right thing, so be it. As far as I'm concerned, and really, I think that again, if people who have been abusers or acted inappropriately stay in office, then that can become a distraction and you can lose those seats on those terms instead of on you know, moving forward terms of policy and where we want the country to go. Yeah. Well, you know, somebody on a Facebook group that I moderate said that they thought that Franken should have come out and said something to the effect of, I'll resign when the president does, which I don't know if I 100% agree with that. But if the Democrats are going to take the moral high ground here, shouldn't they then, shouldn't their next move, Chris, be to unite in vocally all of them calling for the president to resign? Wouldn't there be enormous political power in that for the Democrats? I would absolutely love to see that. Look, Al Franken, Conyers, Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Roy Moore, Donald Trump, yes, all of them should face the consequences. We need to have a zero tolerance policy on this. Abusers in any position, in government, private sector, all over the place, they should not be uh, immune from facing the music on this. Um, And I think... Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand said this yesterday. She said, if we're talking about the difference between abuse and harassment, we're having the wrong conversation. Mm. And I think, you know, with the Me Too movement, this is a chance for us to move this forward um, and enact a change in our society. And we have to, like you said, be united on this on this front. Um, and, you know, and as Josh mentioned, this is this has absolutely been a systemic thing that has held women down in the workplace and contributes to uh, women leaving leaving jobs, uh, taking different jobs, an unknown uh, number of consequences. And you know, pretty much every woman that you know, including myself, has had uh, an experience like this. Where, in my particular case. My boss, the owner of the company where I worked when I was 20, um, basically, I think now looking back, he had a crush on me and he would, you know, rub himself up against me when I was standing in the kitchen at the Mm. coffee pot. And, you know, it was so painful and I ended up leaving the job and he treated me almost like he was a jilted lover. And I was so confused and hurt at the time. And I have no idea what what that did to me, um, in my psyche. And, you know, there's so many women who have been through so many worse circumstances. Um, and now is the time. And I am actually proud that the Democrats are standing up against this. And I am incensed and repulsed and disgusted if Roy, if Roy Moore isn't held to account. And just like I was when Donald Trump was allowed to proceed despite his past. Yeah, you talked about this. We, we talked about this on last week's show as, as being a watershed moment. And, yep. you know, uh, it, if this does have a sort of top-down effect, we are seeing these, you know, men in, in high 
positions of power in Hollywood, uh, in Washington. The hope, I think, would be that it trickles down to the corner office, right, that Mm -hmm. we uh, no longer uh, either condone or, you know, we don't put up with a and 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 that men will start to realize that that kind of behavior uh, is is no longer acceptable in our society. And, and, and so if there's anything that's positive that's coming out of it, it could be that. Yeah. And you know what? We, we need you guys. <laughs> we need you guys to speak out. Um, when this kind of talk is happening, um, like the locker room talk and all that stuff, it's just not okay. Yeah. It's just not okay. So we need all you guys. <laughs> you know, I, I want to mention something that Franken said in his statement. He said, quote, there is some irony that I am leaving while a man who bragged on tape about his history of sexual assault sits in the Oval Office and a man who preyed on young girls runs for Senate with the full support of his party. And I was like, that may all be true. But do either of you find that statement problematic? Should a perpetrator be making these sorts of statements about equivalency? Josh, do you, do you have any thoughts there? Um, well, while I understand his sentiment there, it is still what about ism? Right. And I think that we can, you know, Trump should be out and more should not be running regardless of what we do. Um, we cannot expect them to do the right thing. Uh, basically, what we're seeing right now is the question, would you take a billion dollars to defend an accused sexual predator who worked against minors? Because Trump's family is going to make about a billion dollars from the tax cut, and that is the stated reason why they're jumping back in and defending Roy Moore now. It is the ugliest and most cynical of reasons. And, you know, you've yep. you, you've invoked the Republicans here. So let's run with that. Um, so following Trump's endorsement and more, the RNC declared that they would restore financial support, which uh, even though I, I believe it amounted to fifty thousand uh, dollars, the symbolism is just unmistakable, which is that the Republicans are condoning Moore's behavior. Uh, what do you what do you make of that, Chris? You want to just sound off on that? I think it's horrible. I think uh, anyone who donated to the RNC needs to ask for their money back. Uh, I mean, if I was a donor, I'd be horrified uh, to know that I was supporting that type of behavior. Uh, It's just unacceptable and people need to stand up. It, It is not worth the tax cut. It is just not worth it. Yeah. Well, so I guess then my follow up question to that would be, you know, and, and I kind of was, was alluding to this earlier, Republicans treat their candidates differently, as we're seeing with Roy Moore and certainly as we saw with Trump. And I think a fair way to sum it up might be that Republicans vote their values, Democrats vote issues, meaning that as long as a Republican candidate endorses all of the right values, which is to say if if they endorse things like closed borders, uh, stripping away women's reproductive rights, unfettered access to guns, prayer in schools, no environmental regulations, and so forth. It doesn't really matter what they do personally. I'm curious, uh, do you agree with that, the Republicans vote their values and Democrats vote issues, Josh? Well, Democrats definitely do vote issues. And the um, problem is that as a Democrat, I do want to know how candidates stand on particular issues. But at the same time, we should know that anyone who's a Democrat 
will support a particular set of issues. And that does not preclude a candidate from talking about their values, about making life better for everyone in their community, for making government work the way it's supposed to, because we're all putting a lot of money into the government. And one of the things that people really complain about is they don't feel the government works. And that's by design with Republicans. So I think that <laughs> we, can, we can certainly step back up one level and not just talk about here are all the individual things in a tax plan, but actually talk about why the tax plan is there, how it goes against our values of being rewarded for hard work. And mm -hmm. I think that it will take some time to really make that natural for a lot of candidates. But mm -hmm. I, I also think that the only way to do it is start practicing it. And if you believe it, if it's one of your core beliefs, it will, it will sound natural. Mm -hmm. But will it connect with voters in the same way? I mean, it seems like Democrats and Republicans, and I, I recognize I'm painting with an enormously broad brush here, but it seems like Democrats and Republicans are sort of motivated by very different things, which sort of puts Democrats on an unequal footing, right? Because as long as, you know, whatever troglodyte they can, uh, you know, march out there, as long as he or she you know, quote unquote, supports their values, they're going to vote for them. Whereas, you know, we would never put up with that on the Democratic side. Chris, how do you see all this? I'm still trying to sort it out. And I have been since the election last year, honestly, because um, what we see is, is that people voted against their own self-interest. And so I've been, I've been trying to sort that out ever since. Um, and um, I, you know, I know you're painting with a broad brush, but I think that Democrats vote with their values, too. Um, we just have different values, um, perhaps. Maybe not. I think there's a lot more overlap, and it's just more about messaging, honestly. Um, there are some very fundamental things on the Republican side, like, um, you know, limited government and fiscal uh, conservatism, uh, well, supposedly, until now, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> like, there are some of those core things, but um, a lot of this over the recent years has felt like messaging to me rather than um, actual values or issues, um, and us Democrats, we gotta, we gotta up our messaging game, that's for sure. Well, you know, I should also mention that uh, here at home, Ellensburg State Representative Matt Manweller has been accused of sexual misconduct. Uh, and if he resigns, or I guess more to the point for Republicans, if he is forced to resign, um, who appoints his replacement? Josh, can you walk us through what would happen next there in Olympia? Sure. We've actually uh, heard about uh, Manweller's alleged actions for quite a while now. And it's interesting that this is now coming back up to the front but um that's should good. he yeah well it, you know it, it's an outcome of this is, whole it, change i think that's good oh, absolutely but so if he steps aside the rules are different for state positions versus federal positions and since he's a representative of an ld legislative district this is where being a precinct officer a pco is really important when a state representative steps down, all the PCOs from that representative's party 
in their legislative district beat, and then they choose three potential replacements. But it has to be from their party. The, so the 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 yes. in this case, the Democratic PCOs would not get to weigh in on that. Uh, that's correct, and that okay. ensures that stepping down doesn't flip a seat to the other party until the next election. So they choose three of them, and then the county or counties that the LD is in uh, get together and choose from those three. So in the 13th LD, we have four counties, Yakima, Lincoln, Kittitas, and Grant County. And this happened out in the 7th, um, which is way out in Spokane area. Um, I believe last year, the four commissioners chose from the list of three and chose Shelley Short to be their representative. So um, it's not in the Democrats' hands. It's in the Republicans' hands. And it's in the hands of the PCOs who have real power in this instance. All right. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on that. And I should also mention uh, that on Thursday, uh, Democratic strategist Michael Trujillo remarked on Twitter that both CNN and The Washington Post are actively working on stories to expose more than 20, uh, actually 20 to 30 members of Congress for sexual harassment is what the tweet says. So this is by no means the end of the story. And we'll be talking about it again, I'm sure. Uh, But I want to move on and talk about gun safety. Um, So as most of us have heard, there was yet another school shooting here in the state, uh, the second in uh, the span of about three months. This one happened on Tuesday in the town of Graham in Pierce County, leaving two students injured. Congressman Dave Reichert, whose district includes the town in question, tweeted out his thoughts and prayers after the shooting and then the very next day voted to approve a House GOP bill that allows concealed carry between states. I mean, I just... Well, um, a lot of GOP members of Congress um, like to hide behind the cover of it always being too soon on the heels of a mass shooting to, quote unquote, politicize the issue. But, Chris, you sounded off right away on Twitter uh, to this uh, to Reichert on this. Can you just rehash what you said? Yeah, too soon. It's too late. I mean, geez, how many more shootings do we have to have? Um, I I basically replied to Congressman Reichert and I said, your thoughts and prayers are meaningless. Uh, and I expect you to vote against this concealed carry legislation, which was um, at the time it was uh, the next day. Um, turns out he didn't do it. Um, and, you know, I just I just keep telling him that thoughts and prayers are meaningless unless you do something. And um, after one of the recent shootings, actually, I think it was uh, Las Vegas, um, he actually said that he was, um, he, meaning our our congressman here, he said that he was in favor of some uh, enhancements to background checks and other things. And I, I asked him for a period of a couple of weeks, you know, okay, what have you done about it? What have you done about it? What have you done about it today? Never. He's never done anything about it. So, you know what? These guys are complicit now in these shootings. Absolutely complicit. Yeah, and I think it's the Democrats' job to tie them to that. And that sort of leads me to my next question, which is what else can the left be doing 
on gun safety. And and I, I make a point of saying gun safety and not say gun control or even gun legislation, because I think safety is uh, that's something that everybody is in favor of. Um, you know, a lot of people point uh, at the political power that the NRA has managed to amass since the 80s, back when they were primary and organi- primarily an organization for hunters uh, to what they are now, which is an organization that continues to hold just an 800-pound gorilla sized influence in Congress, even when the vast majority of Americans and even the vast majority of NRA members believe in common sense gun safety legislation. Um, Mm -hmm. We had the largest mass killing on American soil this year. This is a big and perennial question. But Josh, I'm just curious to get you to weigh in. What are gun safety advocates doing wrong here? Well, no, as as we saw, just to follow on, Dave Reichert's legacy is going to be, in part, voting for a bill that's going to get more cops shot and killed. But here in Washington, we have made progress over the past several years. So we passed I-594 mm-hmm. for background checks a couple of years ago. We passed 1491, which is extreme risk protection orders. Uh, someone is about to kill you, you can have their guns temporarily removed. Um, and they're both sensible public safety measures, and they both passed statewide with pretty good margins. Well, since you bring that up, you know, on Thursday, uh, A.G. Bob Ferguson called for an assault weapon ban. Um, currently, I know that you're talking about some of the measures that have passed through our state. There's a, a waiting period. There's, as you said, enhanced background checks uh, to purchase handguns. Um, what's the political reality in your mind right now on this measure uh, here in this state uh, with um, Democratic majority in both houses? I mean, people in Washington like their guns, but do, do you think there's the political will to, to do this for an assault weapon ban here in the state? Uh, I think that we're going against uh, two things this year in the legislature. Um, This year's session is shorter. It only is supposed to run through March. And the majority we have is a bit tight right now. So there are a lot of important issues that might not make it on this year's docket, um, but could be considered after the 2018 elections. And I think that most people in the state don't have a problem with reasonable gun control. Um, But I think that is as successful as we've been here. Um, A lot of this does need to be a nationwide effort. Otherwise, you're just going to get guns coming from other states, especially with this uh, bill that Reichert supports. I mean, you look at Everyone talks about Chicago being so dangerous, but Illinois is actually a lot safer in terms of gun violence than Indiana or Missouri, which are its neighbors. But you can literally walk a gun from the Cabela's in Hammond, Indiana, right across the border to Chicago. And that's why you see that in Chicago, but not in a place like New York City. Well, so, so Chris, I, I just kind of want to get you to, to weigh in uh, here on, on whatever thoughts you might have on this, because as I said, it's a huge issue that's been plaguing us for so long. Do you have any thoughts on, on how we make meaningful process on the, the progress on the issue? Is, is it through reframing? Uh, how do you see it? I'm not sure it's a matter of reframing, um, because I think um, most Americans actually are aligned in their opinion. Um, 
I think it's what you said at the beginning. It just comes down to the NRA's stranglehold on the Republican finance on the Republican Party through, and we need campaign finance reform. Um, I I was reading um, the NRA's statement on the bill that was passed yesterday, and it it said um, it was a watershed moment for this for Second Amendment rights, mm. and so this constant. Um, a conversation about it being Second Amendment rights and freedom. That's not really what the issue is. Well, I guess that's what I mean by reframing. I mean, if we start to move it away from that sort of conversation and because the minute I feel like the minute that, you know, NRA uh, lobbyists get to fall back on the Constitution, they win. But if we move it away from, for, for example, I heard it suggested that if we make it an insurance issue, and this is just like a kind of a, it's a little bit of a harebrained scheme, but it would essentially mean that people would have to, they would be required to insure their guns the same way that they have to insure cars. Uh, and then when you know, those guns that were insured were responsible for deaths. Let the insurance lobby and the gun lobby fight it out. Um, what, yeah. what do you think of that? I, I, I think it's a great idea. I don't see it ever being implemented. Right. Uh, but I think it's a great idea. Um, the other thing we can do is, you know, support um, activist groups like Every Town and Gabby Gifford so that we can, you know, we need money. Uh, so that we can start running ads um, in opposition and and do lobbying in opposition, um, just like the NRA does, first of all. Um, And then, you know, it takes all of us having these conversations, you know, like with our uncle over the holidays, our uncle who's an NRA member, and we can talk about, you know, hey, uh, Uncle Joe, did you know that your your donations are, you know, leading towards uh, all of these mass shootings uh-huh. um, and preventing from any any sort of common sense reform? Um, I I really rest it solely on the NRA and uh, the GOP's uh, complicit uh, with the NRA. They they're just too hand in hand and too wrapped up in each other to be able to make any change. We got to fix that. You know, since you mentioned the role of, of activism, I, I just want to end on what Indivisible member Kathleen Hyman posted on Facebook about her interaction with Reichert's office. Uh, she said that she talked to an office staffer, and she asked him how, in light of how Reichert cites safety issues as the reason that he won't hold town halls and will only meet with eight people at a time in his office— How could he then vote for something like concealed carry? Uh, She Mm -hmm. talked about how uh, in in the protests that people in the indivisible groups have done um, at Reichert's offices, they bring letters, they brought giant checks, they've even sung Christmas carols, but they don't carry guns. Uh, And she said that Reichert's vote shows that he has no credibility on public safety and makes us less safe. So I would say that in addition to all the things that you're talking about – Putting pressure, consistent pressure on our representatives might actually get them to stand up to the NRA one of these days. What do you guys think? (laughs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) Josh, any final words? I I think that one problem is that the Republican conservative mind uh, reacts much more to fear Mm -hmm. and fear-based pitches than the liberal mind does. And we've seen that everywhere from Trump's inaugural speech to the continued power of the whole people are going to come kill you in your home uh, and people are going to kidnap you so you need a gun pitch which is really not a day-to-day concern for people Um, 
fear works for Republicans. And that when there's a lot of money behind the fear, uh, you just you need a lot of money on the other side. And we need to figure out some way to remove that fear from people. All right, Kristen, you get the last word. If fear works for Republicans, what works for Democrats? Hope. There it is. I like it. Thank you. We ended on a hopeful note. You guys are awesome. All right. That'll do it for this week in review for the week of December 7th, 2017. As always, if you would like more information about the show, do head over to IndivisiblePodcast.org and kindly subscribe while you're there. The email address is IndivisiblePodcast at gmail.com. I love your emails. And the Twitter handle is IndivisiblePod. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. The executive producer is the awesome Aaron Albanese. Thank you, Chris. Petzold. Thank you. And thank you, Josh Troopin. Thank you. And thanks as always to you for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.